These are extraordinary times, but with too much information and much of it confusing. On Body Ecology Living, I interview some of the best minds to help you live your best life possible. We'll discuss topics on using foods to heal, on building a hearty immune system, on aging well, on taking care of your gut and, of course, your brain, but most of all, on clarifying the right steps to be happier, healthier, and having the energy to make a difference in your own world. Welcome, everybody, to Body Ecology Living. Today, I'm so excited about this interview. I've literally been counting the days once Sally K. Norton said she'd come on the podcast and talk to us about oxalates. I literally every week think, well, how close are we to this interview? And uh, because this is a subject I'm extremely passionate about, I have been low oxalate myself for about 20 years. And, you know, I do recommend uh, plant foods, of course, for the microbiome and for having a, a fiber in the diet and so on. But there's such a misunderstanding about a plant-based diet. And so I think we're going to clear up some of that confusion today. And so Sally's an expert on oxalates. And that's what we're going to be talking about. And this is such a critical subject. Um, if you see how wide-ranging uh, oxalate poisoning is, you'll see that this is something, maybe this is the most important podcast I've ever done. So Sally, welcome very much to this podcast. What a delight to be with you, Donna Gates. It's fantastic to be together for the first time. This is terrific that we get to have this conversation. Thank you for your interest in oxalates. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, it started really with um, autism because uh, it was became clear that they, the kids were super, super reacting to them. And seriously, I mean, bad, bad reactions. And then, I mean, parents would do the body culture diet for their kids with great success. But they started off usually gluten-free, dairy-free. And then they would go, that wasn't enough. So then they would go to SCD and GAPS and you know, they still wanted to give their kids pancakes and cookies and birthday cakes and things. So they went to almond flour and then they, you know what, hit the fan. So, um, and these kids were getting tested by Great Plains. They had seriously high oxalates. They also have yeast and they also have gut dysbiosis. So it's all kind of running together. And I want to talk about that today if we could. But first of all, you finally have, or somebody has finally written the very critical book on oxalates. So can you tell us about the book? <laughs> well, I try to stick to the subject of oxalates. You know, there's a whole, several other corollary topics that you could expand on, but we, no one's really brought this topic forward. So I felt it was important to focus on oxalate and why we haven't heard about it and how it got lost as a diagnosis and why we're missing it clinically and how, how it's affecting our health and how it's accumulating in the body. And even though research in medicine is not recognizing this bioaccumulation is normal because of the way we're eating now. And, and then in part two, I get into the specific suggestions for how to change your diet, how to do that progressively so that you don't go too, too deep, too fast, and how to support that with supplements and different lifestyle things that you can do to really encourage your body to recover from a poisoning that can be a chronic disease in itself. It's truly a poisoning. And so I'd like to start off by um, 
first of all, nobody's written this book and it needed to be written. And it's a lot of work to uh, do a book. And so it took somebody with this really an expert in this. So, and it's a great book. It's very easy to read and it's, you've got uh, like stories through there. So I really couldn't wait to get back. Like when I'd stop, I couldn't wait to get back to it again. So I want people to know that right off the bat that they need to buy this book because this is a, this change their whole life really every disease or problem they think they have going on in my opinion can be traced back to oxalates and one of the first things i do when i ask i'm so sorry people this they're building a house next door and sometimes they never come but today they came and they won't stop so i'm going to apologize tremendously for that but anyway this is a one of the first things I do is I ask people, you know, tell me what you're eating. And so they'll write down their favorite foods and what they eat a lot of and so on. And always today, I see foods on the list that are definitely damaging them. So we want to talk about those in this podcast. But, you know, my specialty or what I focused on for a long, long time is yeast and gut health. Um, so I'd like to really dig deep into that, but I'll, let's start off by telling all the millions of people out there that have no idea what an oxalate is. And it's, you know, I ask people, do you know about oxalates? Nobody knows about it. It's a shockingly lack of ignorance for some reasons. So I'd like to know why you think that is, but also what are oxalates? What do they look like? Because we can't see them. So it's really kind of hard for us to imagine what they are. It's really hard to get your head around oxalates. It really is. You remember, we're old enough to remember Rodney Dangerfield, who always said, I don't get no respects. <laughs> but this is that. This is an amazing, it's a bit of a criminal. It's a very small molecule that's an acid. It's, it combines with minerals and creates these salts. And the minerals can build up, salts build up into crystals. You know, just even table salt is crystalline when it's dried. Right, so when you get a concentration, it dries out, it's a crystalline salt. Oxalate is an acid that makes the salt, only it's oxalate plus a mineral. It's not sodium chloride like table salt, it's oxalate, calcium oxalate, magnesium oxalate, zinc oxalate, potassium, you know, so there's all these different forms with the metal, but the acid itself has a couple of different forms and it's a very ubiquitous in nature. It's so funny, we don't know about it and it's all around us. It's even in polluted and when air. when you say ubiquitous, you everywhere. Mean, it's, it's everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. You, you, know, you know the problem of acid rain that got going really badly and we became quite aware of it in the early 1980s um, that has really ruined like the Adirondack Mountains in, in New York State because the acid affects the minerals in the soil. The, the acid rain causes the minerals to be out of reach for the trees and the trees can't grow past puberty. So they're losing trees because they can't grow up into big trees. <laughs> and that one of the acids is oxalate. The predominant acid in, in acid rain is oxalate, oxalic acid. I didn't know that. I learned that from you. But, um, but it reminds me of something I read learned a long time ago. This acid rain is coming down onto our lakes, and there are fish in there, and they start to cover themselves in mucus to protect themselves from the acid rain, and then they smother themselves to death. Wow. So. Just to give you another idea about uh, how they're, you know, we're being harmed from every direction. Everybody that does know about oxalates thinks it's a food problem, but and we want to get into that too. But 
That's so interesting. It's also, you know, eroding monuments and things like that. So so it's interesting. I think in terms of an allegory to like the ecology of the body, you think of the ecology of the soil where the trees are growing, you have too much acid rain, it changes the ecology and the nutritional status of the soil, and then it doesn't support life anymore. And the trees are really an example of that. And that's happening with us. We're actually sort of spilling oxalate through our whole body when we're eating oxalate in plants. Plants make oxalic acid and turn it into calcium oxalate crystals as well. So when you eat plants, many of them, some of them are much worse than others. So it's really a fairly small list of plants, but they're really popular plants. <laughs> like they're the cool kids mm-hmm. in the produce department, the cool kids in the snack mm-hmm. aisle are these high oxalate foods. And we're eating both crystals, which is like eating sandpaper. Some of these crystals are shaped like toothpicks. They're set up as, as a defense for the plants or literally building them on purpose. The plants set out amino acids to create this scaffolding and then it builds the calcium oxalate crystals on the scaffolding. They deliberately design the shape of their crystals for various purposes. The plants are quite intentional in their need for Oxalic acid, it helps them store calcium, it helps them protect their seeds, it helps them protect their bark, it helps them do many things. It helps them collect light in the shade, it helps them hold on to carbon in the hot, dry desert environment. So just all these things, really important to plant survival and physiology, uh, defense against worms and funguses and things that like to eat plants. And we're eating them too. In plants, we consider edible, and if we, and if you step back, you think about eating plants that have an acid that's bad for us and has sand dust in it that's bad for us. Really hard on the the whole digestive tract, right? To be eating sandpaper, it actually these crystals are so firm. The calcium oxalate crystals they're more hard than teeth, and literally you get dental wear from chewing on high oxalate foods. I've had followers claim that by biting into um, almond butter on an apple slice, like a daily snack, just biting into almond butter eroded their incisors top and bottom. And And we see this in in the record of old skulls and things, you know, from long ago where you see they look for this dental microware and they look for these calcium crystals, they call them phytoliths. They're little fossils of calcium oxalate that tells the researchers what the diet and plants were that people used in ancient history. So they're long lasting. And you know, there's no uh, obvious sign that they're damaging you. That's the thing about, I mean, even like you said, long ago, people were eating plants. Plants were around before humans were. They had to have mechanisms to survive, and you've got all these insects eating them. And so rabbits it's and really <laughs> how they, yeah, yeah, yeah. So thank God, you know, they did survive for some of the ones that, but uh, like you said, it's really out of hand today because our lack of knowledge is killing us really and damaging everything, every system of the body. And truly, really, it, it's, it's mind boggling. And it's so mind boggling that it's simultaneously so immense, the damage and so broad, the types of damage that can occur. And yet our complete absence of awareness of oxalate makes that sound like an incredible lie. I mean, it just doesn't sound credible because shouldn't we know about <laughs> something that's really interfering with the health? And I found that so shocking. I just had to keep digging in the literature to find out why. 
And it's still not fully clear, but we've been very cavalier about when we find oxalate is damaging in so many deep ways, which we've known, for example, the oxalic acid creates severe calcium deficiency, particularly in children and infants. And we've this is established science through feeding studies with both animals and children, human infants in the 1930s. It was clear that uh, feeding spinach, which is one of the high oxalate foods, th there's three greens that are high oxalate. There's spinach, Swiss chard, and beet greens. And beet greens and Swiss chard are technically the same plant. Swiss chard is a type of beet that doesn't grow the beet root. So you can think of them as one problem, beet greens and Swiss chard. And then there's sorrel, which we don't eat in the U.S., but is popular in certain parts of the rest of the world. So these greens are examples of foods that were studied, especially spinach, because we've long wanted spinach to be a food that's good for us. Because if you measure the minerals in it, it looks like it's got nutrients. We're not noticing that all the supposed calcium that's in there is literally calcium oxalate. And spinach has zero calcium nutritionally and may even have negative calcium because its ability to pull calcium out of your food or your blood or your tissues makes it not only zero calcium, but probably calcium depleting. And yet we're still claiming that spinach has calcium in it, even though we have 100 years of research that's demonstrated that most of that calcium is calcium oxalate, which isn't nutritive, but instead it's toxic. Why we can't distinguish between toxic calcium and nutritive calcium in nutrition by 2020 is appalling. I think the nutrition field has distracted itself with the fantasy that we can pull ourselves back from the health crisis we're in by telling everybody to eat more plants since they haven't come up with another good idea. <laughs> and they've been scaring us away from eggs and meat and cheese and things for, oh, 45, 50 years now. And we've all convinced ourselves that that was okay. And probably it wasn't because it sent people to fat-free junk food. It just made that seem more appealing. Like if you can't have eggs, you might as well eat fat-free crackers and cookies, <laughs> you know? With, with extra sugars, carbs in there of all kinds, starches and gums and thickeners and processed this and highly, you know, engineered foods that have cute little labels that say, hey, I'm low fat, I'm this and that, and I'm no cholesterol and I'm egg free. And now the gluten free thing has really, as you've said, probably this combination of oh, going God. dairy free and gluten free is these days now a guaranteed path for oxalate poisoning. Well, you know, I have said for years that when you study food as medicine, which everybody, nobody really understands what that means, but there is no food out there that doesn't have what I call a front and a back, like a nickel or something, you know, it has two sides to it. So there's a good side, there's a bad side. We live in a yin-yang world, so we're even us, good and bad side to us. But um, certainly that's true for everything we're eating. And of course, I don't see a good side to eating oxalates. I haven't found a single reason, a positive side for eating oxalates. So that's why people must know about this. And they probably have zero idea that things that are wrong with them for years is tied into oxalates. So I like to, you mentioned dairy. And of course, when you're, you know, gut health is your issue, people have leaky gut, open, permeable, inflamed gut lining. So Something like dairy, casein in particular, um, it, they can't 
handle it. And um, children with autism, for example, they're such a good example. I mean, they're such a good, it's good to talk about them because they are perfect examples of this, but they, um, they, they do have leaky gut. They can't handle dairy. I think Remember my years of, well, first of all, I could never handle dairy. I like, wish I could, but I had a leaky gut. I had candida. I had um, uh, a lot of mucus, like, um, uh, you know, like if you have um, asthma or a lot of mucus in your body from some infection, say, I had bad lungs, which I know Mm. for sure is from the oxids Mm. I used to eat. So anyway, I couldn't do Mm -hmm. dairy, but now I can and I'm thrilled because fermented and, you know, eaten in the right amount and everything. And, and also teaching your microbiome again, because you've avoided it and there's no bacteria in there to digest it. So if you teach your microbiome how to uh, learn how to eat or digest dairy again, you can go back to eating it. And it is a wonderful food. It is a great source of calcium. So I'd like to throw that in. Well, I know a bunch of people are thinking, especially in my diet, you know, they're thinking, oh, well, dairy, I can't, I can't do dairy. I'm off of dairy. Uh, so I just want to throw that out. But you know what bothers me more than spinach is you walk down, you look all over the store for gluten-free anything, and you pick up the box, and right there it says almond flour. If not the first ingredient, it's right there in the top three. And to me, almond flour is worse than spinach. Because, you know, I don't know, I'd like for you to run with that, but it's just in everything. Yeah. And it tastes good, by the way. A cookie made with almond flour does taste good. So people think, great, it's gluten-free, and it tastes good. And that's good enough, (laughs) except it's very dangerous. And it's a practice that has never happened in the history of mankind that is suddenly everywhere. And no one at any university or in any place of authority has ever said, Maybe we should look and see if this is okay. It's no, it's, there's no one looking out for your well-being. This is a commercial process of a developing the ability to grow enough almonds and make them cheap enough that this can happen. When you and I were kids, almonds were a very special thing used as a garnish on a fancy dish at a holiday, used at major holidays and used in marzipan. And otherwise you never saw an almond because no one would spend the kind of money, that kind of money on nuts. It wasn't part of the diet and it certainly wasn't in the budget. And now somehow they've figured out how to make almonds affordable for everyone. At any convenience store, you can get almond milk and almond milk is, almost worse and it's got way less almonds there's a lot more profit in that thing but when you when you've diluted it into a solution and you're using this kind of extract you might say of almonds because you're filtering out all the fiber and everything and you're really releasing the acid the oxalic acid the soluble oxalate flowing in water makes it very easy for it to flow in with a natural uh you know liquid or the you know water flows between the cells of the gut between the tight junction, this is how small ions, little tiny minerals, salt and so on, gets into the body with the water. Oxalic acid is the same thing. It's flowing what we call paracellular transit between the cells. Now, when you have leaky gut, your absorption of the amount of oxalate in any food could go up five, six, seven times normal. And now, even even without the almond flour and the almond milk, you could get into trouble with oxalates when you have leaky gut. So we should be aware of, of the toxicity of oxalate and the vulnerability that happens when we've got gut inflammation. 
Yeah, and everybody does. It's so easy to inflame the gut stress. Uh, As soon as COVID hit, you know, it didn't take too long to realize that the the virus immediately infected the gut and destroyed the microbiome and and activated candida that was in the gut too. So I'd like to also get to the fact that um, yeast, uh, anyway, so part of, if you want to be able to eat any um, foods that have oxygen in it, you got to heal your gut. But um, are you, so just to clarify, are you saying that almond milk is even worse than almonds? It it would seem so. Now, we don't really have the kind of solid, big deal research that would justify a strong statement in that way. We certainly see in the literature, it's a lot of the people who are being reported for renal failure from oxalate exposure, which is the one thing that that medicine will watch for and then know to attribute Mm -hmm. to oxalate is some kind of kidney damage. So there was a study or, you know, a case report of three or four children uh, reporting to the Pittsburgh Medical School showing that giving those kids almond milk because they were dairy sensitive and couldn't have dairy milk caused severe renal failure in these children. And luckily their, their kidneys bounced back. Children have a lot of ability to grow and regenerate tissue. And so they bounced back, but this is just almond milk, but some of those kids were eating, you know, four glasses a day of almond milk, which would be, you know, quite a bit. But that, we see that too, and uh, people often do both, so it's hard to differentiate how much was it the almonds they were snacking on, the almonds they were using to make muffins and pancakes with, and the almonds they were drinking as almond milk. Often, once you adopt the almond alternative to both dairy and wheat, it's starting to show up in multiple things and is really becoming a staple. You know, squirrels might get away with that, but um, humans aren't built for that. Yeah, well, there is this bacteria in our gut that's supposed to eat oxalates, but we wipe that one out. I'd like to get to that, but just before we, we're talking about children right here, um, do you think, or have you found any research? I just thought to go looking for this, but what about in breast milk? Could children be getting oxalates from breast milk? Is the mom's eating a high diet? Absolutely. Oxalate passes the placenta as well. You can be exposed as a fetus. And that same mother who's living on almond bread during her pregnancy is either living on almond bread during her breastfeeding period or could stop eating almond milk. But what's happened in the meantime is her, her diet's been high in oxalate for a while. Her breast tissue may be loaded with oxalate crystals. And I've had clients who've reported crystals causing breast duct obstruction where they're clogged and eventually it would break loose. And one family reported really sizable crystals coming out of the ducts and diaper rash and fussiness and unhappy child at that same time because the oxalate level must be higher. Once the breast milk is finally released, you've got breast milk maybe after a, a obstruction period where it's even higher in oxalate. But that's definitely a concern. The breasts are glands. Glands tend to pick up oxalates easily. And breasts are glands that concentrate calcium because they make milk. And that calcium is a magnet for the oxalic acid. So the breast is a very common place for oxalate to collect in women's bodies, as is the thyroid gland and other glands as well. I think you could even wipe out the pancreas and potentially wipe out the beta cells. There's definitely signs where you get metabolic disruptions and probably insulin resistance and other problems with metabolism because of oxalate uh, contamination of the tissues. You know, something I just want to throw in here as far as books go, I've interviewed authors. I like to interview, I like to help people know what books to read, but 
I read the book and the beginning of it, which is all the information, is good. And then they get to the recipes. And I have not found a book, including some thyroid books, uh, that don't have oxalates in their menu. And it's like, they just shudder when I see that because it's hard for me to recommend that and say, but don't follow the recipes. Just listen, look at the information. Now, so some so breast milk is really important, what you just said. And because uh, anyway, so I, I want to say this too, is besides breast milk, um, the children that I've worked with over the years, they've been soy formula fed. And um, I think almost every child I ever worked with, and eventually we had a couple of thousand parents and practitioners on our bedrock group, was the group I had back then to help kids recover. So I would ask them a history. You know, what what did he eat? You know, uh, did he have did he have signs of candida? Did he have gut problems? The answer is yes, yes, yes. But but soy milk because they have gut problems and they're not digesting anything, especially and even breast milk. So the doctor says, "Well, just put them on this, put them on formula," which lately has been improved with more. Uh, I found some that don't have mm. soy, but really we have to bring this up because this is a serious other place that babies are starting life mm. with soy. It's been going on for forty years too. It's. And it's happening globally. Did you say 40 years? 40, yeah. 40 years? I, it, I'm, wow. For a long time, they've been using soy for a long time. The, the soy industry was working towards becoming a major dominant ingredient in processed foods long ago, long ago. They were already planning on trying to replace animal proteins with soy protein back in the 60s mm-hmm. and 70s. That, that's been part of their ambition as a, as a you know, industry. And... Yeah, the baby formula, and it's just even Thanksgiving turkeys. They they have to feed soy to turkeys to get them to grow fast enough. And I find that the turkeys themselves don't process the soy well, and you're literally eating soy proteins when you're eating turkey. So there's lots of places where soy is even invisible. And it's, I think it's a great concern in its ability to interfere. I mean, um, Kyla Daniel did a nice book that really covered soup to nuts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> The whole story. soy story was, I think, yeah. the title of that. She's the expert she on did. The soy. She did a great job on <laughs> Check that. Check her out. <laughs> yeah, and then of course um, I see eggs that say soy free. They didn't feed the chicken soy feed with soy in it, so that's important to look for I think too. So too. Uh, and I know in the book you talk about animals. Animals can be poisoned and killed with soy if they get soy into something like sorrel. So yeah, there was a, um, we don't eat a lot of lamb in this country. And I think one of the reasons is because in the upper Midwest and uh, far West where sheep and lamb were grown, they would get into this halogentin. I'm not quite sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's a, a weed that's very high oxalate and that would cause death and so much loss of animal life that they couldn't afford to grow lamb and make it affordable. So um, because of weed problems that because of oxalate poisoning of the poor little sheep, we don't really eat lamb here. It's too hard to to mm-hmm. produce the animals. Even youngsters don't make it <laughs> on oxalate. And it's interesting because mm-hmm. we think of ruminants with their four stomachs where the bacteria is doing the digestion and the animal's really eating bacterial protein. You know, it's really the animals aren't really eating the hay and the grass. 
the bacteria are doing that and the animals are digesting a lot of the bacteria that do that work. So, you know, it's very interesting if ruminants can get in trouble. Now, horses are, are monogastric and they get into trouble with oxalate. They get a disease called big head, which is calcium deficiency disease, where the whole facial structure of the poor horse starts, they lose so much bone, it just starts to become scar tissue and the face starts swelling with scar tissue that holds the animal together and keeps them alive. Um, with some semblance of structure in the face, but they're quite sick with calcium deficiency disease, which can cause all kinds of problems. You know, um, Lactobacillus plantarum, which is in our, have a, very much of it in our probiotic liquids, um, that over in Australia, that the owner is really into horse racing, and, and they, they um, have a lot of Japanese who are into horse racing, and they have found that um, it's really critical for a horse to have uh, this. They actually are probiotic liquid. They literally put it in with their feed and they uh, get all this lactobacillus and then they it fixes their gut and it solves this problem and they don't die. And not only that, they win races. So they don't win races because they're faster. They win races because their immune system is so strong and hardy. They come out of the gate full speed and win the race. So, cool. you know, it is support. I hope somebody with the animals listening to this, because I think probably, I, I know I feed my dog really good food, but I bet a bunch of people, if they go check their dog food, will find soy in it. And carrots and sweet potatoes and corn byproducts. Mm, sweet potatoes. Yeah, they're, they're putting yeah, oxalate sweet foods in both cat food. Cats are obligate carnivores and they're putting high oxalate vegetables in cat food it's hard to find a like a meat-based cat food even though cats are full carnivore animal and dogs can get away with some plants in their diet and uh but it's not these high oxalate sweet potato, <laughs> sweet potato and yeah. carrot because there there's a tube that is an option for in my health food store a tube of stuff it is raw it's considered raw but it says what chicken and sweet potato or beef and sweet potato so it's an important ingredient there so let's clarify that but you know i'd like to get in more into the gut since our people are, are that follow me tend to have gut yeah. problems and talk about the bacteria in the gut that can degrade oxalates and what happens to them where like i know i took antibiotics for too many years and i became extremely sensitive to oxalates my my symptom uh is I think, and that, by the way, is another symptom that the kids with autism who start eating all these pancakes and cookies and stuff with flour. Dr. Shaw, who's great plans, they test for oxalates. He told me that they've had a couple of dozen kids literally pull their eye out from the pain in their eye. And it's just a horrible thought, but, um, you know, these symptoms show up all over. Let's talk about symptoms. Like people may not realize that the, you know, that they have these symptoms. So let's talk about that. But then I'd also love to go into the microbes that nature puts in our gut to help us, you know, uh, eat some oxalate, at least the medium or low oxalate vegetables. So let's go there next. Well, with symptoms, it, it's very idiosyncratic in a lot of ways where it can show up very differently in different people. The same problem of too much oxalate in the body can express in all kinds of ways. And eyes are almost a universal problem with eyes. I, I now believe the mm -hmm. reason I needed glasses in six, it, when I was 16 is because I was the kid who loved her beet greens and the, the other foods are high oxalate and tea and all the stuff. I was into all of that. And then 
I needed bifocals by the time I was 21. And the, oh wow! And what about yeah? Cataracts? Well, I've I've had um, there's a little bit mention of that cataracts in the literature. I've had two clients claim that their cataracts are reversed on the low oxalate diet. I think there's lots of different ways mm -hmm. to get cataracts. Just like there's many ways to get mm -hmm. all of these problems. You get eye problems from other things as well. But but um, the eye is very common. Thyroid is super common. So by the time you're 50, you have an 85 percent likelihood that you have literal calcium oxalate crystals in your thyroid gland. Now that's this crystal, the calcium oxalate crystal came because acid got in your body and then some calcium was contributed by your bones and blood and whatever at some point or your thyroid tissues and got hung up there. This is the same thing as having a kidney stone. It's not pleasant. The kidneys don't do well with kidney stones. They're made of calcium oxalate. 80% of all kidney stones are calcium oxalate. So if you have urinary tract issues, jumpy bladder, have to get up at night, need a bathroom all the time, leak, painful bladder. These things can be the oxalate crystals forming in the urine, irritating the bladder, basically setting up kind of a rash inside the bladder where the immune system is on high alert. The mast cells and the other immune cells in the bladder are really unhappy about this crystalline urine and they're trying to help out, but it ends up making you miserable with, with urinary tract problems. Um, and then you go to the doctor and they give you Cipro yeah they because you think you have an they infection. They will give you an antibiotic without a culture. <laughs> and your cloudy mm -hmm. urine that you're getting from the crystals in your urine, when you're peeing out, when you're, if your kidneys are healthy, it, they can dilate and pee out whole crystals and they're invisible to the naked eye, but they show up as cloudiness in the urine because the light's bouncing off all these invisible crystals. If you have this milky, murky urine, that doesn't mean necessarily that's an infection. More likely, it's, a, it's that there's a lot of oxalate crystals there. And so if you tell my I have milky urine and my bladder hurts and an itching and it's terrible, oh, you have, a, have an antibiotic. <laughs> Usually, it's mm -hmm. not an infection. And uh, it's probably oxalates causing both the cloudy urine. And then the, like, the antibiotic it, makes yeah, things worse. It, it makes everything worse. Well, I have a question. Yeah, but I have a question too about the thyroid. Can if somebody goes for a test and they do T three, T four, and all that, and then they also test for antibodies to see if they have Hashimoto's, is that a factor? Like they're not able to test for oxalates. Okay, in the no, thyroid, it's even it's even hard to test them in a cadaver. You know, you take out a lump of tissue from a, a dead body or in a biopsy, you have to look at it within two hours or else the crystals start to dissolve as it because cells start to break down. Mm -hmm. Once they don't have blood flow and they're not in their proper place, the right temperature, they start to sort of disintegrate. And as they disintegrate, they become acidic enough that the crystals kind of disappear. And even if that doesn't happen, you have to slice the specimen into a impossibly thin thing that will fit on a slide under a microscope. And sometimes this, the knife slice moves the crystals out. So it can be there, but mm -hmm. you can't see it. So it's very hard to test for oxalate in the thyroid gland. You can statistically expect that you have them if you've been eating high oxalate food or have had leaky gut. And it will eventually cause... Uh, immune, the immune cells have to deal with this buildup of crystals and they do it in different ways. And as they keep going, they can start training the adaptive immune cells to start attacking these crystals or the adjacent tissue. And you will see antibodies. I, I tested for Hashimoto's. It was equivocal a few times. One guy's definitely Hashimoto's. But then once I got on low oxalate, none, I never see that. 
no equivocal anymore. There isn't that Hashimoto's tendency. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that in my clients. Hashimoto's goes away on a low oxalate diet. So the, the crystals themselves you know, cause I, I, these there's, itises. There's, right? well, I was going to say there's new science coming about to support what you're saying. Um, I did a podcast with Dr. Kelman, and he's got a book called Microbiome Thyroid. Anyway, uh, what other people are noticing or proving that is that the thyroid is not, you don't need to be on thyroid medication. There's, it's not, that's not the problem. The problem is, is there's toxins or something in the body, certainly it could be oxalates, that are causing the thyroid to underfunction. So doctors test you, they see that, you know, that the thyroid's hypothyroid. Okay, then they think, well, let's just put you on thyroid medication when the real root cause is something else. So oxalates is another example. First thing is get rid of the oxalates from your diet. Any any, um, progressive Uh, or ongoing inflammation can irritate the poor thyroid gland and make it under-functioning. So you could have undiagnosed food allergies, you could have all kinds of things. Anything irritating the immune system can get your thyroid in trouble. It's interesting that you get this inflammation in the immune system. I think it's because it is so easy to damage it with the diets we have. So I have a feeling it, it starts with this contamination and the toxins, particularly oxalate, and then you get this kind of like that jumpy bladder where once there's all these crystals in the bladder all the time, the bladder is now sensitized to crystals and you, you're prone to this interstitial cystitis and this frequent urination and this sort of problematic bladder. You, it's easy to create the problematic thyroid gland that's now a site of inflammation whenever the inflammation is up and see with oxalate it's there's a lot of acute effects that are really important like when the minute you within an hour of eating oxalates within 40 minutes of eating oxalate they've demonstrated that the immune cells are damaged in the circulation so the monocytes that are traveling in the blood within 40 minutes are already have damaged mitochondria. They're putting out pro-inflammatory cytokines and they're unhappy and damaged and calling for help. So they're increasing inflammation in the body themselves because there's a problem here, people. They're, the immune cells are saying, hey, we're sick and dying. This is not, so you, you know, the acute effects are bad enough. But then when you've been doing this spinach smoothie every day or spinach salad or eating beans a lot or brands, almond cookies. Almond cookies. Or giving your kids soy milk. All of these things. Or or all the vegetarians that are eating soy hot dogs and tofu. Luckily, from an oxalate standpoint, the tofu is is made with a low oxalate bean. There's like uh, hundreds of varieties of beans, of of soybeans. And there are some Mm -hmm. varieties that are much lower in oxalate than others. And tofu is typically made with the low oxalate varieties of beans. And tofu tests pretty low in oxalate. So... Soy itself isn't great. I tried to live on tofu when I was a vegan and I just trashed my, you know, the rest of my reproductive health went down the toilet from doing that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do want to throw something in here because uh, uh, I, I have also sent foods to University of Nebraska to get tested and um, soy, uh, like, like for example, miso soup mm. is, ex- is not high in oxalates. Because the microbes that are fermented over three months have gotten rid of the oxalates. They, they eat oxalates. But natto, which people talk about, you know, it's incredibly high in oxalates because uh, this little soybean, uh, which is rich in calcium, by the way, 
um, that little soybean uh, is only fermented for about 48 hours, right. if that. So it, it's not enough action on the, from the bacteria to degrade that those oxides. So just, if, I always tell people, please don't eat natto, even though you hear how great it is for your, uh, well, gut and bones and all. And, and, I, and also, I have research, if you want to see it, on how 65% of the oxalates in this one study were actually going into the bones. So let's talk about, uh, you know, for everybody who's eating high oxalate foods and almond and milk and so on, are they, what are they doing to their bones? Oh boy, it's a tragic story. I, I gave myself severe osteopenia on my high oxalate diet. Luckily, it reversed in just about three years of low oxalate eating and reversed it back to normal. So the bones can recover, but the bones are a bank account for minerals. And when the blood is low in minerals, when you're losing calcium, so after you ate this almond bread or almond pancake, you are literally losing calcium from the bloodstream and other minerals and, and tissues. And so the, it's real important to the pacemaker of the heart that the calcium levels stay perfect. And so the bones are asked to drill holes in themselves to release minerals, particularly calcium back into the into the blood so the body's all about keeping the the bloodstream perfect this is what i call the river of perfection you're not going to find a lot of defects by blood testing because the body must prioritize the blood especially with electrolytes calcium is an electrolyte that helps the heart run if it's too low you get arrhythmias and you can have heart block which is a form of heart attack from the electrical failure of the pacemaker and that can be caused by oxalate poisoning either on the way in or the way out. So your bones become this huge reservoir for oxalates. And it's not just the hard part of the bone, it's also the bone marrow. Bone marrow is where your white blood cells and your red blood cells are born. They can be born slightly defective, released from the nest, so to speak, a little too early because of oxalate kind of ruining their development. And so you can actually birth your blood cells slightly not right when you've got oxalate in the bone marrow. But in the meantime, you've got crystals harder than teeth hanging out in the bones that can give you a bone density scan that looks normal because those crystals are harder than bone so it gives you a hardness on the scan but in fact what you have is lots of little imperfections in the bones that make them weak and brittle and you're very vulnerable to breaks so if you injure easily if you get an easy bone break i have a client and now friend who's Osteoporosis in his late 30s, I guess it was, caused him to have a um, severe injury from a bike crash. And he, he has severed spine and he's quadriplegic from that osteoporosis. And he 100% blames his almond and whole wheat bread. He was really into the nut butters and whole wheat and all the health food stuff at the co-op when he was in his 20s trying to be healthy and it destroyed him. So it's really serious that you're getting crystals building up in your bone marrow and in the hard part of your bones. It's also wrecking your teeth, it can ruin your gums. When the oxalates are coming out, this is also a dangerous time because you release back oxalic acid into the bloodstream, you continue to lose calcium, potassium and other minerals in the process and you um, elevate oxalate in the blood. So you, you continue to have high oxalate in the saliva and in the teeth, and you have inflammation that's digging them out. So when we're getting rid on a low oxalate diet, we're getting rid of all this particulate matter over a long period of time, hopefully in a gentle, slow way that's not making you ill. But this requires basically immune cells outfitted in hazmat suits with jackhammers. Like they're busy 
spewing acid at these deposits and proteases that break down the, the proteins that are encasing and inside these crystals to break them out. You really don't want these little mini jackhammers. It's not pleasant to get them out, but it, it will occur slowly over time. But the, the more you have these crystals building up in your tissues, your tendons, your bones, your bone marrow, your glands, your nervous tissue, even the gut tissue, the, the more you're, you just, you have a mess on your hands with your physiology and it starts to make you feel and look old. It interferes with your sleep. It makes you, um, it, it can cause mood disorders. I mean, you get enough neuroinflammation out of this sort of toxicity and you can have chronic anxiety, panic attacks, depression, you name it, uh, sensitivities, light, light sensitivities, noise sensitivities. You see this in the autistic kids where they just can't, the world is too much for them. Mm -hmm. And they're sitting in the corner mm -hmm. rocking because it's all too much. And that's the poor, toxic, mm -hmm. inflamed body. Body ecology is not a diet. It's a way of life based on seven universal laws that always guide us toward the truth. If you want to know more about us, about these seven universal laws, and about our amazing, effective products, go to our website, bodyecology.com. Also, for a free transcript of this show, go to our website. Again, that's bodyecology.com. And of course, if you like what you're learning, we'd be very grateful for a review on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've got a topic you want to learn about, just let us know. This information does not replace the advice of your doctor or healthcare professional. Thank you very much for listening. And here's to a happier, healthier world.